listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast raising the bar at workplaces everywhere. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective are their own and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, Teresa McQueen. Thank you, James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Today, we're talking with global HR leader, Sonia Stos, about bullying in the workplace. Sonia is an HR professional and public speaker with a compelling message about the impacts both personally and professionally of workplace bullying. She's on a mission to educate people on all aspects of this issue, and she's going to be sharing her tips on how to identify and protect yourself against bullying behaviors in the workplace. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Workplace Perspective has a new website. Visit us at www.workplaceperspective.com. Check out our new look, including our featured guests and archive sections. Share us with your friends and colleagues to help us continue to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspectives, Sonia Stos. Thank you so much for having me, Teresa. I'm so excited. So am I. So before we get started, though, can you tell our listeners a little bit about you, uh, who you are and what you do? Sure, sure. Um, my name is Sonia. I'm in HR. I've been working in talent management and organizational development for about 15 years. I'm originally from Germany. That's why I have a little funky accent, but I've been living in the U.S. for a long time. And most of the companies I've worked with were global organizations, so very large uh, companies where you can see all sides of the workplace. And I like that environment because you get a lot of different perspectives. Yeah, I can imagine. I always thought it'd be cool to work for a global company as well. It's a great yeah. way to see the world and to learn about different cultures. Very cool. Well, yeah. Sonia, I know that you have a very unique perspective on this issue, and I would love for you to share with our listeners um, about what you've experienced, uh, what you've discovered, and why this is such an important subject to you. Mm -hmm, exactly. So I started out uh, with a regular HR degree and then I added a master's in dispute resolution. And I remember when I went to the company that sponsored me at the time, the HR director looked at me when I asked what uh, whether they would fund the tuition reimbursement and what my topic was, dispute resolution. And she looked at me and said, why would you ever need that? And I'm like, we in HR constantly have to debate and argue and defend policies, rules, regulations, standards. And so I thought this degree would help me figure out how to navigate the workplace better, especially conflict situations. And it didn't help me. And as I got more into leadership training, I saw how the topic of conflict was treated, a very clinically, very abstract, and not really touching on what was really going on beneath the culture that you could see. And I could see areas that were not talked about at all. For instance, workplace bullying, that wasn't a topic at all. It was never included in any training. And I saw over the years a real need to address it. And now we're at a time where we're all wondering, 
Why is there a big resignation? Why do we have retention issues? Why do people start speaking about toxic workplaces? And I think we're just at a critical time where we need to start talking about that when we want to talk about employee wellness. You cannot talk about employee wellness and not also talk about toxic workplace cultures. It does take a toll, doesn't it? It definitely does. And it's it's a silent suffering. It's people think they're alone. People think they're the only one. And it's hidden. It's It's nothing that emerges that's loud and observable and aggressive. It, it's long drawn out and it's a process. And people feel often surprised by the intensity of the process. And that's why we need to talk about it, that it is a process, that it doesn't happen overnight. It's not one microaggression. It's really a process of complete destruction of that person. Let's talk a little broadly about so that everybody's sort of on the same page. When you talk about workplace bullying what are you Mm. talking about yeah good question so a lot of people ask me what's the difference between a bad boss somebody who's just not skilled and and what is a bully and it couldn't be more different a bully has basically four signs the aggression is always intentional it's always a system behind it they're always very distinct phases a bully uh, operates in they're serial offenders so they're not just That's not just one time in their career where they mistreated one employee, but it happens over and over and they often get rewarded for it, unfortunately. And it's always very destructive. Whereas a bad boss, for instance, will be an equal offender. They either have uh, a low social feeling for what's appropriate or not. They say the wrong thing at the wrong time. They don't know how to lead, but they do that with everybody. They don't single out a person. There's not a systematic approach to mistreatment. It's They're just unskilled. They just need help and guidance in how to appropriately lead a team, for instance. So very big difference in systematic, intentional versus simply unskilled. That's really interesting. I love that distinction. And I always think about, so in bullying, so in California, they mm-hmm. have, you know, we have statutes, anti-bullying statutes. Um, okay. But in order to be legally actionable, to be able to bring a claim against an employer for failing to prevent bullying behaviors in the workplace, it has to be tied mm-hmm. to a protected classification. So I always end up talking about bullying in that sort of context in in like a sexual harassment training. And I always talk about the fact that with regard to that, it's a gateway behavior. So they're gateway behaviors. Bullying behaviors tend to be a gateway to more legally actionable behaviors like sexual harassment or discriminatory conduct or whatever it might be, because they tend to be things that happen bullying behaviors ostracizing an employee keeping an employee out of meetings all these subtle these microaggression sorts of things they tend if they don't get addressed they're empowering do you find that Uh, absolutely absolutely so uh, when when i talk to targets so we don't talk about victims we talk about targets of the bully they tell the story of how it is this process that they got uh, suckered into, basically, that it they were always a step behind the bully. And what happens with culture is when you have, when they start voicing complaints, they often can't verbalize it. When you have right. 
direct violation of Title VII, for instance, then somebody can say, I was attacked because I'm female. You know, I was ridiculed because I'm a woman and with a lot of men or uh, race or nationality or the way I speak. I have an accent. I get ridiculed for that. These are Title VII. These are protected classes. And then you have a case that can be documented. You have legal rights. However, if somebody says, I need you to vacate this office. We need it. I know you would be entitled to it based on your title, your director, but we need this. I want you to sit in that corner. And the next step is you're sitting in the basement, literally in the basement. So you have these actions that are not just one or two and they're not targeted. You don't know really where the enemy is coming from or what, what you did, right? It can be simple things like, now reporting needs to be done different, or you can't meet your deadlines anymore, or your workload gets incurred. These are not legally defensible actions. And when you retell them, and this is where the target gets trapped, one alone doesn't seem big enough to be offensive. Well, you might have misunderstood the person. Oh, it's probably not that bad. And it's this accumulation of dying by a thousand cuts that hurts you, that leads to that destructive area. The other differentiator is the targets feel there's a moral obligation. And it's very hard to explain to somebody at the end of the road when they are ready to fight, when they want to stand up, when they say, I've documented that difference between legal rights and a moral injustice. And a bully, unfortunately, unless the company has a policy in place, and very often we talk about it, what somebody can do later on, these policies have holds all over. And if there's a toxic culture, like you said, that leads to worse behavior, these policies are not enforced. Policies are more or less guidelines, right? They're a little backbone. And if a company doesn't have the stamina and the conviction and the ethics to enforce them, nothing will happen. And that's where it becomes a widespread thing where you now demonstrate permissive behavior of what is tolerated that can lead to Title VII violations, because that's clearly a very toxic overall environment. Yeah, the moral aspect is really, it's true. So when I was litigating, mm-hmm. we would, this is why I think workplace relationships are so important, because when I was litigating, we would get calls from people who are saying, I think this is what happened. And they tell you their story. Yes. yes. And you're listening and you're thinking, okay, there might be something there. And you tell them, yes. you know, what might, but they go, no, 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 it's this. I was yes. disrespected or I, yes. they feel some way and disrespected or they feel death by a thousand cuts. Like it was the last straw that brought them to call an attorney on yes. these little tiny things that nobody thought was important enough, but built up. Yes. Um, and sometimes even clients who had a righteous case, right? They had an actual legitimate case. Yes. We'd have to talk to them about the fact that if you think if the moral wrong is what you're seeking justice mm-hmm. from, correct, justice on, it's not going to happen. Correct. And if that's the part you can't get over and not this actual, you know, legal wrong that was done to you, then we need to have a conversation. And we had clients like that. And, yes. you know, we actually had a client at one point who said, well, if, if that's not going to be what's addressed, I don't want to go forward, which is exactly. great because you shouldn't. If you don't want to address the <laughs> legal injustice, you know, because you're moral wrong, it's not going to be it's not going to be what you think. 
It's not yes. going to be satisfying. No one in court's going to go, yes. And that's part of what, what is so heartbreaking in that whole procedure is you have this person that gets bullied on average over 18 months. That whole process takes about a year and a half to two years until a breaking point is reached where the person either has a PIP, so they either are set up for performance failures and are forced somehow to resign, retire. They often go on medical leave and then never come back or simply get fired. They usually don't get fired. They get pushed into resigning and they're just breaking. And at that point, they want to fight. And for them, it's really important to, to be hurt to some degree, right? That's when that outrage comes. But they're often also very depressed. And it's very hard to talk to a victim in that last phase because they are spin mode. They just re- tell the same stories over and over and can't find out. And yeah. once we show them that system that you actually went through a process, there was a trigger process, right? Something kicked that thing off. It didn't just happen out of the blue because you did something wrong. There was something that triggered uh, extreme, I call it an extreme survival response that is in no relationship to the original offense, somebody joins a team, somebody gets promoted, somebody gets hired for their special skill set, for something that they bring to this job that they're seeking for. There's a period of a honeymoon phase where this boss, and we're talking mostly about bosses, so bullies are mostly in a power position. That's what enables that bully, that power differential. And they're mostly women. So 75% of bullies are women against other women. And so they fight differently than men. So there's a second phase is grooming or the honeymoon phase where you think you're the luckiest person on the planet because your boss is extremely interested in your personal life. They want to know about your parents and your children and your hobbies and what makes you sad and what makes you happy. And you think this is amazing. And everybody else says this leader is amazing. And then the story design starts. So you some cracks start to show up where your boss says something harsh to you. And I'm like, well, maybe she had an off day. Maybe that wasn't meant that way. But then you get emails where the tone starts to sharpen. You get emails like, as discussed in our conversation, and you feel like, okay, I need to up my game. My performance is not there. You start spinning. And now you start going into a phase where you're thinking constantly how you can be better, how you can please better, how you can anticipate, how you can avoid any little mistake that potentially can upset your boss. And then you find out that other people have heard rumors. So you find that there's an audience and alliance building going on from the bully side. They already planted the seed that you're not what they wanted to hire, that you're not up to par, that there are doubts and they will portray themselves as the savior. They will say, I tried everything with her. I mean, I tried coaching and I tried talking to her. She just doesn't listen. Maybe she's not cut out for that. Maybe you need to talk to her. So they're spinning at this point. And the target is always one step behind. And the last phase is escalation where they're putting you on a pip or they're saying, you know, that we can't really excuse this. And this is when the bully starts poking at things that are really valuable to you. For instance, you need a day off because 
your mom is sick or you have something with your kids and the bully knows this is important to you and they will say, well, the work can't stop. You need to get this done somehow. And it's really hard to endure this day after day when you feel now squeezed in a corner, you don't know if you can't get out, you feel horrible every single day going to work and it's affecting every single relationship. And that's when other people start encouraging and say, well, you need to do something, but what can you do? You have no evidence and that's the cycle of destruction. So that's where people find themselves after a year and a half or so. Wow, I've seen that over and over again. All right. There you go. So, okay. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to hear more from Sonia, including how people can take steps to protect themselves uh, in a bullying environment. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Take a step toward bringing our country and community together. Start a meaningful conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. If you enjoyed today's show, do this. Share us. Like us. Give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It means a lot to us, and it ensures more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking with Sonia Stos. She has a very difficult last name, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. Sonia works totally fine. (laughs) We're talking with Sonia Stos about workplace bullying. Sonia, so we've talked about, thank you for that. It was a great description of that cycle, uh, that that, uh, workplace bullying cycle that goes on. So um, let's talk a little bit more on on the hopeful side about what steps a person can take to protect themselves if they feel that they're experiencing bullying in the workplace. Yes. So this is this is why I'm doing these talks, because there is hope, there is something you can do, but it takes a couple of steps. So first of all, I'm HR and I want that our function is more aware with this and includes it in employee wellnesses, whatever you do in diversity, inclusion and wellness programs, this needs to be a pillar. So you have three levels where we can attack this problem. One is systematic. That is the most effective one. What are your systems and processes allowing or disallowing at this point? Are your policies really having teeth? in your ethics hotline? Are you only asking for sexual harassment? Or are you also asking about signs and symptoms of bullying? And how are you investigating this? Because you probably know, Teresa, investigations are a sensitive and critical point of whether you have a legal case or in case of a bully, if you want to fire them or let them go, you need good documentation and good information that the policy has a chance to be enforced. So check your systems, your ethics hotline, your policies. SHRM has great policy templates because they're different than your harassment policies. In bullying, you have to go a little bit more into the nitty gritty and describe some of the ways of behaviors, how somebody was prevented to do their job. That's the ultimate goal. The bully wants you to prevent your doing your job. And so just to clarify, so SHRM is the Society for Human Resource Management. And it will caution, SHRM has great resources, but you have to remember they are nationwide. So um, whatever you're looking at on SHRM, you want to make sure it also complies with state laws. That's my legal disclaimer for sure. Correct. Yes, very good. And you want to find out things like 
Oh, can you write in there, for instance, it's okay to tape a conversation, right? If somebody says, I no longer have the trust level to have a conversation with my boss behind closed doors, you know, what if that first contact comes to HR and says, I think I'm being bullied or I, I feel I can't do my job or I can't please my boss, what is the assistance you HR are doing? Are you immediately sending them to some mediation or are you believing Victims need to believe, and that's often the biggest hurdle is they don't have an ear, right? The the power balances towards the leader, right? Why not? They're liked and they're this and they're that and they're wonderful. And they have established they're very good at branding themselves as an excellent leader. So you need to be very cautious before you dismiss somebody's complaint that might seem harmless. And, and don't you think that I always talk about you have to, and it's so difficult. HR is a tough job HR, Very much so. because you're seeing problems all the time. Um, and so you can become jaded or, you know, develop a, a very thick skin, which you need. Um, yes. But I think that it's important to remember that every time we look at a situation, we always have to come with as fresh, fresh of eyes as we can. So fresh eyes, fresh perspective, don't make assumptions, you know, take this person at face value and look at them for, look at what's happening and don't Correct. jump, don't immediately jump to conclusions or percept. Oh, I've seen this a hundred times. Yes. I've heard it about, I've heard this a lot too. Oh, I've heard it about that person before. It's not true. So, so the good part, <laughs> the good part is that you know it's it's very easy to detect these bullies because they do have a pattern. They all follow the same pattern, and so you look at context. So True, you, say, you said you know the pattern that you said. Oh, I've seen it. Yes, over yes, and so over so. and over again. I'm sure our listeners are doing the same thing. So what you have to do is ask five questions. When did this start? Was this a potential trigger event? Was this, did this come out of the blue? Was there a starting event, right? What was their honeymoon period? So you, you ask those questions, whether those faces were hit. You can also ask questions towards, you want to find out, is it a bully or is it an unskilled manager? We need to urgently send to a leadership training. <laughs> you know, you want to say, okay, does he, does he take advantage of his power position, right? And make somebody feel small and minute and diminish their role and let them not do their job? Or is he just a, a, a miserable person that maybe needs some social self-awareness, right? Maybe he needs a 360 or some other tool, right? So you can distinguish, is there a systematic approach? Have others reported this? And then the third part of the systemic approach is giving third-party and bystanders a voice. The bully and the target are in their own dance of destruction. It's very hard to interfere and stop it because it's an escalation process. And in any conflict, the most valuable chance you have of stopping the process is the bystander. So very often functions will respect each other, but everybody sees it and knows it. So we need to empower that if you see it, you can say something. When you, when you, are a peer to that bully, you should be empowered to call out that peer, even though this is politically often not correct, right? Frowned upon that you criticize a peer on how they lead. But that's the culture that actually 
creates trust and validates trust. Because once you have a culture of silence where nobody speaks up, you know you have a toxic culture. So systematic approach, policies, empowerment, talking about it and saying we don't tolerate it. Just read the press. I mean, the White House, we don't have to go very far ahead, anti-bullying policy, right? And then Kamala was accused in the first few months immediately of losing staff to the bullying. Um, Meghan Markle was accused of losing her staff and having over. So we need to pay attention to these kind of things because these are powerful women that losing their handpicked staff really quickly. Why is that? Why are they calling it a toxic environment? And this is what's reflected in our workplaces as well. Amazing. Amazing. I do think that it's important for people to bring it to the attention um, as soon as they start to feel that cycle, as soon as, you know, because you are one step behind. I mean, you are. How, how can, other than early reporting, Yes. Are there ways that, you know, an employee can either get in step with or get ahead of the train yes. before it just starts, you know, gets out of control? Yes. For the personal assessments, this is and the misconception or the myth is also that the target is somebody weak, somebody who didn't know how to defend themselves. Usually it's very strong women that are actually victims. They're just surprised. And they're surprised by the quickness and the vastness of this web that is woven around them. So what they need to do is figure out where in the process are they? Are they in the 18 months or are they in the early stages where they're just a few little sharp, edgy knives thrown at them? And then they need to make a plan. How long am I willing to endure this and set a date? Say, I'm going to, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to mediate. I'm going to do better work. I'm going to do whatever she asks me to do that apparently I'm failing in, but I'm going to do this for two months or something, right? And then what is your financial and emotional runway? Because once you enter um, self-doubt, self-criticism, right? And you become a self-fulfilling prophecy after about a year where you are messing up, where you are providing mediocre work because you've been tormented for a year every day. You can't be at high performance at that point. Mm -hmm. So you need to know how long are you willing to go and what is your justice mode? Because we're coming back to the end of the road. What can you do? And is there justice? And my advice, as hard as it might be to hear, is to walk away. Because any minute you spend on revenge or hatching a plan of somehow taking the bully down will not be successful unless you have systematic protection, leverage in your company, policy, HR on your side, documentation, and early on interruption of the cycle. And that's usually hard to come by, right? You, you, you wouldn't find a bully being hired in that environment in the first place very often. Right, right. I do think it's tough to hear. Yes. But I do think that there's validity in that, in the idea that what is your peace of mind, your Correct. confidence, your health, your happiness worth Absolutely. in the face of that? I mean, if this is your dream job, you know, then then you're going to, you know, hopefully take a stand early and do those things you said and talk about, I would say, you know, talk about the fact that I can see where this is going. I'm going to yes. tell you what this is going to look like and lay it yes. out for them. 
Yes. And if, and again, assessing, if you're not getting the support, then it's a tough decision to make. Then at least you have the mindset that you can look for another job. There's always another dream job. Don't get married to a company or a job. It's not the end of the road. Your sanity is worth everything. The job is not. I believe that too. Well, thank you, Sonia. We are out of time. That is our show for today. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you, Teresa. You can learn more and connect with Sonia on our website at workplaceperspective.com. I want to thank today also my listeners, the Radio Angels, James and the Nave at Night, our workplace team extraordinaire, our engineer and producer, Paul Roberts, our associate producer, Melissa DeLacy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective. And until next time, keep raising the bar. Oh, wow.